Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. We are proudly sponsored by my good friends at Dr. Dish. Contact Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and receive an exclusive discount on their shooting machine. My hope is, as you listen to the podcast, you'll gain knowledge in X's and O's, leadership, and culture building. Now, let's grow the game together. Listeners, we have a very special guest, Matt Doherty, who in basketball circles, his name is very popular, championship winning player at North Carolina under Dean Smith, coached at North Carolina, coached at Notre Dame, leadership. He's been around basketball for decades, and we're honored to have him on the podcast. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Matt. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I was noticing in my little pod station here, I've got two pictures behind me. One is my first basketball team I ever coached, and the other beside it is the picture where Michael Jordan hits the famous shot versus Georgetown, and you're standing there in the paint, you're number 44, and I never really paid close attention before, but you've been looking behind me the whole time I've been doing these podcasts. It's pretty cool. I've got that photo hanging behind me now. Yeah, I like the uh, the, the MJ picture, obviously. Um, the There are two angles of that picture. One has the Carolina bench in the background and the other has me in the background. So I definitely like the version you have with number 44. People say to me, ask me, you know, what was I thinking in that picture as I had my hands up and I was kind of open at the foul line. And I said to me, I was saying to Michael with my hands up, no, 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 don't pass it because Patrick Ewing is between me and the goal. So he made a good decision. Yeah, yeah. In the picture, you can see Patrick Ewing standing there just waiting to make a play if you receive the pass. But uh, that's an awesome photo. And again, you're on Deed Smith's first championship team. But let's talk for a second about since you're no longer, you're not currently coaching a team, what what are you doing right now besides writing a book, which we're going to dive into in here in just a few minutes? Yeah, uh, well, writing a book is a full-time job, first of all. But my main focus is coaching. It's just my, and I, and it is a team, but it's executive coaching, Matt. I work for Vistage, uh, which is the largest and oldest executive coaching firm in the, in the world. And so I am putting my first team together and hoping to launch in April. So you get basically about 15, 16 key executives Okay. business owners from small to mid-sized companies uh, from non-competing industries together once a month. And then I meet with them each individually once a month and really to hash out issues that you get to process in front of high performing peers. Um, and I think that I talk a lot in my book and the book's titled rebound from pain to passion. And it's about the leadership lessons I learned after I was forced to resign at North Carolina. And I talk a lot about mining for the truth. And I think leaders need to mine for the truth. And the other thing I think leaders struggle with is self-awareness. And that's part of mining for the truth. So um, that's a big part to me of leadership growth. And uh, again, you know, between the book, um, the, the, the executive coaching, and then I also do a radio show once a week 
um, those keep me pretty busy. Let's talk about how Dean Smith impacted you as you were a player and a young man and, and what was his impact on his life and what were some of the leadership lessons that you were able to glean uh, from his leadership? Well, I think the, one of the biggest things is, you know, everyone talks about culture. And, uh, you know, that's a really big buzzword over the last couple of years. And it's hard to explain culture. You feel it, but it's hard to implement it. It takes a real discipline. Um, Coach Smith would say things like start how you finish, uh, meaning, you know, don't throw things in there just haphazardly. Think things out thoroughly, things that you want to do with your team, your staff, and, and on a consistent basis. So he had a system in place that established a culture. Um, and it was a culture of teamwork. Uh, you know, his, his, his famous line were play hard, play smart, play together. And you've heard Larry Brown say that. You've heard Roy Williams say that. I used to say that. And that's what he wanted. He wanted everyone to play hard, play smart, and play together. And if we did that, to the best of our abilities, we would win more often than not, especially with the players that he recruited. And so then it came down to little things. You know, what were the little things that were important to him? You know, being on time, being unselfish, showing appreciation for your teammate. That's why he started point to the passer. Um, you know, uh, when a player comes off the court, everyone on the bench stands up. Um, when you're, there's a, a dead ball, a timeout, you run to the bench. One, to save time. Two, to hustle. Three, to maybe intimidate the opponent, saying, man, those guys don't get tired. They're sprinting to the bench. Um, so all those things and more, so much more. Right meant a lot to coach. And those were things that were developed from his childhood in Topeka, Kansas, to the time he played basketball at the University of Kansas. As you were mentioning to play smart, play hard, play, play together, I've been a high school coach for quite a few years here in the South. And every year I still see players warming up with that on the back of their jersey somewhere there's a team that still does that usually in locker rooms so that mantra those three um ideals have stuck strong throughout the basketball community in general and i would say whatever level you coach if you can play smart hard together you're going to be fairly successful if you can have if, if those are just your three cultural uh bases right there you're going to have uh, a, a good culture yeah no no question um and then the key is enforcing it right right like, the thing that I always talk about leadership, I'm not one for a lot of signage in an office or a locker room. You know, I don't like too many quotes, too many different sayings. I want short, impactful things like play hard, play smart, play together. I talk about core values a lot. And I had three when I was coaching at SMU, and then I developed four. And it's RTCP, respect, trust, commitment, positivity. And, and why should it only be three and four, Matt? Because we can only remember three and four things. It's like a phone number. You know, a phone number is not seven digits long. It's three and four digits long. 
because we can remember three and four things. So when I ask at a corporate event or a team, what are your core values? And people can't spit them out right away. That's a problem. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've been with some coaches in the past and they had core values that were, you know, 13 to 15 full phrases long. And I'll tell you, none of the staff even remembered them, much less the players. So you have to be short, concise, have an acronym or acrostic kind of spells out something possibly. And and you're right. If you ask the players about the core values and they are umming their way through it, or they're kind of looking at each other, then you've done a, the we coaches have done a poor job communicating that and establishing that um, with the, with the team. Yes, sir. A hundred percent. Well, let's dive into the book. Uh, I can't wait to uh, read it. I, I've placed my pre-order already. Um, Rebound from pain to passion. I'll tell you that, the name really, really caught my attention from pain to passion. So let's, I want to talk about what led you to write a book. There's a lot of great coaches out there and, and great careers like yourself that decide not to write a book, but what was your motive for writing the book? And then how did, what led you from, to the name, you know, from pain to passion? Cause that's, that's very specific. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, one, I wanted it to be relatable to basketball. So obviously rebound is relatable to basketball and then um, from pain to passion, I wanted it to be a leadership book. And, you know, leadership, lack of leadership caused me great pain where I lost my job at North Carolina, my alma mater, you know, the best maybe coaching basketball job in all the sports, one of them. But in losing my job because of poor leadership, I went on a leadership journey. Leadership became my passion. So from pain to passion, that's where that came from. And then leadership lessons learned. And I talk about the lessons I learned on my leadership journey after I was forced to resign at North Carolina. So when you say some failures in leadership, in the moment, you probably thought you were doing everything correctly. Are you talking about failures on your part as you look back that you were not doing things exactly the way you thought you were doing them? Well, it, it was it was basically you always do things that you think's right. Um, right. But <clears throat> leadership is a learned behavior, and it's the most undertaught topic in all of academia. But yet, maybe the most important, because no organization is going to rise above the level of leadership competence of their senior staff, yep. they're, they're the CEO, the president, whomever it is, you know, they're going to rise to the level of that CEO, of that president. And if they don't have the skills, the organization is going to fail. And I, I look at organizations like the Alabama, right? Okay. Bear Bryant was there. They were great. Several coaches, you know, came after him. Some had success, uh, Gene Stallings. Then you had others like Mike Price mm -hmm. and, and, and Shula. And then you had Saban. Now, what's the difference? You have the same campus, same town, same fan base, same alumni uh, boosters, same league, same TV contracts. What's the difference? Why all of a sudden do they have ultra success. It's right. Nick Saban. It's Nick Saban. That 
That's why he gets paid big money. That's why, you know, admissions at, uh, at Alabama have skyrocketed because of Nick Saban. And so it's one person, the power of one person. And, and he set that program and took it to another level that now is the most dominant team in all, maybe all of sports right now. And, and that's because of one person. So, you know, the, the, you know, we're again, leadership is a learned behavior. And I call it my practice, the Darty coaching practice, because it needs to be practiced. Yeah. There, there, you know, we practice as a, as a golfer, if you play golf, you're wearing a Titleist hat. So I'm assuming you like to play golf. All right. Well, if you don't practice and videotape your swing and have somebody work with you, you're never going to really get better. It, it takes teaching. It takes coaching. And, and the same thing with leadership. How do you put yourself in positions to practice leadership? And there's a really new tool out that I, that I'm, I just learned about this week called Mersion. And it's, it's basically a virtual reality for leadership. Hmm. And, you know, they kind of set up these scenarios and it becomes a, almost like a video game. So you have to react in real time to potential situations that could hijack you as a leader. And so the things we try to avoid is the emotional hijacking of a leader. Yeah. Um, so that way, in the moment, you can react in the appropriate manner. Man, you've said so many great things right there. I've been jotting down notes to come back and address. I want to hit on what you just mentioned about the emotional hijacking. Let, and man, I see that all the time. I see it the most with the guy you're looking at right now, me. Yeah. So that's yeah. an area I definitely want to grow, uh, grow in. So how did you, you said you went on this emotional, uh, sorry, you went on this leadership journey after right. you were, uh, you left North Carolina. What right. was that like? And what were some things you discovered about yourself as you started looking inward uh, about about your career and where you were in life and kind of, I guess, who you want to become as a leader? Yeah, uh, yeah, man. I think a couple of things. Um, I remember sitting in a, in a class um, taught by Fran Johnston. At, at, uh, I took an executive class at Wharton in Pennsylvania, and we were talking about emotional intelligence. Now, this was in 2003. I never heard of emotional intelligence before that. And I'm sitting in this class and I'm saying, oh my God, if I would have learned about this before I was a head coach, I might still be the head coach at North Carolina. Hmm. And so that was one. Another topic I remember um, took another, I worked with an executive coach at UVA and, and, and she, uh, Carol Weber, and she um, had me do the Myers-Briggs assessment. Have you ever mm -hmm. done the Myers-Briggs? I have. It's been a while, okay. but I have. Yes. Okay. So I did the Myers-Briggs. I met with her. This was a couple of months after I got let go at North Carolina. And she said, um, you know, after some small talk, she said, uh, you know, here are the results of the Myers-Briggs assessment. You're an ENTJ. And I jokingly say, I've been called a lot of four-letter words, before, <laughs> Matt, but never an ENTJ. And she said, well, only 2% of the population are ENTJs. So I thought immediately, 
you know, North Carolina just fired an elite coach. I'm I'm 2% of the population, man. Come on. Right. And she like, I think got it. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If 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 you're only 2% of the population, that means 98% of the population don't think like you think. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, wow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. That was a wow experience for me thinking, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I see red, they mm-hmm. may see black. I see a straight line, they see a jagged line. That's good. That's really good. I was I was listening to another podcast not long ago, and there was another personality test. I can't remember the name of it, but I was thinking, you know, every every teacher, leader, coach, whoever should do a personality test because they can be really eye-opening like they were for you. Yeah, there's another one I, I, I do, I give out, um, is the um, DISC assessment. Okay, so in the DISC assessment, D is for driver, I is for influencers, S is for steady, C is for compliant. And I'm a DI in that, driver, influencer. But 69% of the population are S's. Yeah. They don't like change. I love change, Matt. Mm -hmm. I get bored with constant things the same way every day. So when I took over at North Carolina and I changed something that hadn't been changed for 36 years, it was very stressful for 69% of the population. Oh, I'll bet. Right? I'll bet. Yeah. I should have gone slower with the change. A lot of people in leadership positions want to be visionaries and, and, and bring about change. And if you're in the, if you're in a spot like a North Carolina or an institution that's been around for hundreds of years or a little or a small church that's been around for hundreds of years. They don't want change. They like things just the way they are. Right. Well, the thing you you, you touch on what part of my leadership journey was um, I was at a, going to a Presbyterian church in Mooresville, North Carolina, outside of Charlotte. And they were making a change. This is after I got let go at North Carolina. They were making a change and, their pastor was retiring. Well, in the Presbyterian church, they bring in an interim pastor for a year who makes the necessary changes to get the church cleaned up on track for the full-time pastor that's going to come in. So the full-time pastor doesn't get blamed for any harsh changes that need to be made. And the previous pastor cannot have any formal duties in the church, like, you know, baptisms or weddings. Okay. Now, when I took over at North Carolina, Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge were both in the building, the previous head coaches. Yeah. You know, and they were doing weddings and baptisms. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, yeah. What what was that like? Again, you mentioned they were both there um, for you to come in and, yeah, the pre- previous coaches are there, and I mean, obviously, Dean Smith, the, the legend. I mean, uh, was it was it difficult? Not only am I honored to host this podcast, I'm also a high school basketball coach myself, and my team just purchased the Doctor Dish CT. Doctor Dish knows that coaches work very hard to save every penny they can. So I sent back our old other brand shooting machine and got a discount. We also took advantage of their 
one-year payment plan paid half now and half later. And my kids love this shooting machine, calling and texting me constantly to get in the gym. And players love immediate feedback. They're able to know their shooting percentage from every single spot they shoot from. And also, using the Dr. Dish app, they can track their shots throughout the entire season or the course of their career. This is a game changer. It's almost like I hired another assistant coach, called Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and take advantage of our exclusive discount. Now back to the podcast. It was a blessing and a curse, Matt. I mean, it was a blessing to have them there and lean on them, uh, use, you know, have them as resources for me from a basketball standpoint, from a management standpoint. But then it was also hard because when their changes were occurring and people wanted to complain, they had a place to go to. Right. And two of the secretaries, I had four secretaries, two of the secretaries left and went to work for them. And so it it created a little bit of a toxic environment. And that's one of the things that I should have managed better. You know, when Coach Smith was interviewing me for the job, he said, you know, uh, it's your job. You run it how you see fit. Well, I took that literally, but (laughs) I, I really should have, you know, maybe let him run the program through me for a while. And, yeah. and so that was my ignorance and that was a landmine that I stepped on and got blown up. Yeah, man, that, that would be a, a tough situation. So I, I want to jump back on emotional intelligence, if that's okay with you for a second, sure. because sure. I, I, most of our listeners are college coaches and high school coaches, probably some youth and middle school coaches possibly. And they're listening, they're thinking, man, I don't have the means right now to do all, all these personality tests or, or whatever. I, I'm a, one coach in a little high school, what would you say to a coach who's like, man, I really want to grow in this area of emotional intelligence to be a better father, husband, wife, daughter, whatever it is, coach, teacher, what advice or would you, would you give them? And I'm guessing it's a journey as well. It's not just you take a test, you see your scores and you're able to make changes the next day. I think that there's two things that impact your life. The people you meet and the books you read. Yep. Okay. And they're meeting us through this medium of a podcast, right? Correct. Yes. And then, you know, buying books, whether it be my book or a book on the disc assessment or personalities, uh, um, you know, how about the Bible? Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, people, people talk about books they want to read in 2021. I'm like, well, I think the Bible would be a good place to start. Um, you know, Proverbs is so powerful, Matt. Um, Yes. You know, there's so many things in Proverbs that are so relevant today. And a lot of it has to deal with, you know, people who don't control their emotions. Uh, when it comes to great books, and I believe the Bible is the greatest book of all time personally, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The people we can connect with through books and even now audio books, I think is awesome because you can hear the person's voice, hear the emotion as they're talking. I think that I think that's really, really uh, effective for, uh, you know, coaches and teachers and leaders who want to grow. Uh, and my book will be coming out in audio as well. Yes, I can't I can't wait for that. Uh, I love audio books on my way to work. And then I love reading the hardbacks. You can highlight and all that type of stuff. So so that that's awesome. And I, I hope that the listeners will will take advantage of that. Well, coach, um, 
what other things as you went on this leadership journey and because some coach listening to this podcast is going to get fired when the season's over, they're going to resign. They're going to be forced to resign or a coach that happened to last year and they haven't found a job yet. So what are your words of wisdom as you, and I, and I'll say this, I appreciate your transparency talking about your journey. You're very open and honest. And I think that's really good for us as we look at someone who we respect as a player and a coach, but you also went through a valley in life and, and you don't hide from it. No, no. I, I think that, um, you know, the thing is um, when you're in position to help somebody help them. Yes. When somebody loses a job, and it may be a, a rival coach, call them. Like, I still remember who called me when I got fired. And I remember who didn't. Yep. And I think that when people reach out, you know, um, we're all in this game because we love the game of basketball. We get, we, we love the high highs, the low lows. And inevitably some people are going to get fired and, whether they deserve it or not. Um, I think the people that do get fired or forced to resign, look in the mirror. Okay, Coach Williams, and I say this in the book, he talks about pointing a finger. Well, if you're pointing a finger, there are three pointing back to you. Right. Right. So you had a, a role in it. What was your role? What could you have done differently? Study the film. When you're a coach and you lose a game, you watch the film and you plan practice for the next day to fix the things that need fixing. It's the same when you lose a job. What did I do wrong? Do a 360-degree survey, which I've done, which you send to your staff, and they fill out things honestly. Because you want to mine for the truth. There are six, I talk about this in, in the book Rebound. There are six no's of leadership, K-N-O-W-S. The first one is you got to know yourself, which is what we were talking about with the Myers-Briggs, the DISC assessments. The second one is you got to know your team, okay? How do you lead your team? How Who on your team can you push? Where are the buttons, you know? Some kids can handle some criticism. Some kids can't. E uh, is know your environment. Like my environment in North Carolina was different than my environment in Notre Dame. Notre Dame wanted change. North Carolina didn't want change. What's your vision for your program? You know, it says, well, I want to win a state championship. What, like in detail, what is your vision? Right. You want to win you want to have good citizens. You want kids to, what does it look like? You know, do they wear a tie on game day? You know, do, do you, do you have, um, you know, grade requirements? What's your communication like with your parents? Um, then the I in STEVIT, it's S-T-E-V-I-T. That's the acronym STEVIT. And I just made it up as a player that I used to recruit in Wisconsin. And the I is know your industry as a coach, Matt, You're the leader. You should know the latest trends in the sport. You know, what's the latest way to guard the pick and roll? What's the latest play to get a three-point shot late in the game when you're down three with three seconds to go? You, as 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 the head coach, 
need to be on top of all the technology, the X's and the O's, the game planning that, that the industry has to offer because players and assistants are only going to want to follow competent leaders. And then lastly, the T and Stevitt, you got to mine for the truth. And I touched on that earlier. To me, the most important knows or know yourself and know the truth. And how do you mine for the truth? You've got to hire assistants and give them not the right. And, and as someone I was on a podcast with last week said, in the military, it's not your right to challenge authority. It's your obligation to mm. challenge authority. So do you, are you the head coach, Matt? I am. Yeah. Do you tell your assistants it's your obligation to question me, to challenge me in preparation for a game, for practice? You know, is the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And right. Go back to my core values. Respect is the first core value. It's got to be done in a respectful manner. But yeah. you've got to create a safe environment, whether it be in a meeting you know, wherever it might be for them to challenge you and question you and come at you with ideas and you create a safe environment because that's the only way you're going to find the truth. If you bully them, shut them down, they're not going to feel respected. They're not going to come back to you because they don't want to get bullied. You'll surround yourself with yes men. And then finally, when you lose your job, I say this, Either you manage the truth or the truth will manage you. Yeah, that's good. So you, you, good. you don't want to be the last one to know the truth. You want to create a safe environment where people can come to you and say, listen, you know, Johnny's mom went to the principal. The principal's a little pissed off. And you can say, oh, screw that. I don't want to hear that. You know, well, it's the truth. <laughs> Now you got to manage it. No, that's good. I, I like what you said about the staff um, because I was having a conversation with my coaches recently, and I didn't use the word obligation. I just said, hey, guys, I, I want more suggestions. I want more. You have the freedom to give me suggestions or disagree with me anytime you want to. I, I don't want to be the one making all the calls, although I'll make the calls, but I want your input, whether it's subbing or switching a defense or you know, certain thing at practice. So yeah, you want your staff members to feel like they're equal stakeholders, not feel, but they are equal. They are equal uh, stakeholders in the program and their opinions and their thoughts are valuable. Um, and that's why you have them on your staff. Yeah. And it's an, also an opportunity, not only for you to grow, but then you can grow and challenge them back in a, in yes. a respectful way. So if somebody says, Hey coach, I think we should run a two, three zone you know, after a timeout, you say, okay, what time, kind of two, three zone. Well, I, you know, I don't know, you know, then you can put, okay, you come up with a two, three zone with the rules. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss it. So now you're giving, empowering him or her. They get to study it. You know, first thing I would do is watch Syracuse tape, right? Yeah. And, and, and study the different kinds of two, three zones and come up with one and then you you know play with it in the staff meeting and yeah. get everybody involved and by you doing that it forces them to grow it gives them accountability 
It gets them excited about working for you. It creates a loyalty on your staff that, man, coach is listening to me. Mm-hmm. It's giving me the opportunity to have some input. And he's telling me to go explore options for a two, three zone. And I think then, then you can teach that player, you know, he said, okay, here's what I think we should do. And then you can throw questions at him and say, well, what if player A does this and B, well, this is how we'd match up. Okay. And maybe you don't do it this year. Right. Maybe it's something that you couch to the next season, but that creates a a bond with your staff that, um, um, and, and, and gives them, uh, an opportunity to grow and you'll have more people than willing to, you know, challenge you in a, in a respectful manner. No, absolutely. That, that's a great point. Um, and before, before we, uh, you know, get off the podcast here shortly, I want to uh, ask you another, another question. We, we've talked about coaches that are ending their job to circumstances. They didn't really want possibly being fired or asked to move on. What about the young coach who's listening? They are in their early 20s or they're an assistant coach and they're dying to get their first head coaching job. Um, And it may happen next year, but it's going to happen in the future. What would you tell that aspiring head coach about how to prepare for leadership and what things they need to really focus on, you know, building within themselves to lead a group of teenage boys or girls or even a college job? Yeah, Uh, I think the most important thing is know yourself. Yeah. What is your strength and weakness? Your biggest strength, your biggest weakness. My biggest strength was probably my intensity. My biggest weakness was my intensity. You know, there's an emotional circle that goes around you. It's like a boundary. And if you take that emotion beyond that boundary, it becomes bad. You know, you could be considered a nice guy. Well, if you're too nice of a guy, you're a pushover. So what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then where do you need to augment that? So when you get that head job, who are potential assistant coaches for you? And why will you hire them? Well, I need somebody who's been a head coach before. I need somebody who's good at managing travel or who can organize, um, you know, practice times or things that you don't want to do. Um, so I think that, um, knowing yourself is probably the biggest thing and making sure you check your ego at the door. And I, and I like the part about knowing your strengths and weaknesses, because sometimes, um, well, let let me back up. Sometimes it can be hard for coaches to really identify their strengths, strengths and weaknesses. So how does a coach who's listening how do you, do you do you talk to people who know you if you really want to dive deep into who you are as a person? Because I think some people we have blind spots and we just don't see our our weaknesses sometimes. Yeah, well, I think that <clears throat> you can only have like maybe five really good friends. And I I, I talk about uh, and I stole this from somebody else. Um, you know, personal board of directors. Who is on your personal board of directors? Seek out mentors. Who is on your personal board of directors? And then, you know, ask for the truth. Yeah. Now, you know, in my life, the hard, the hard truth, like you've got to, yeah. you can't have th- thin skin. If you want the truth, you better be able yeah. to, to take it from people who love and care about you and want you to grow, but it might hurt. Yeah. It's going to hurt. 
but that's the only way to grow. Um, and for me, for me, <clears throat> I get the truth from my wife. You know, she, <laughs> yeah. she gives me the truth and sometimes it hurts. Um, but, you know, I had a friend a week ago call me and say, hey, just, you know, I want you to, my brother does it for me. You know, there's a couple of people I know I'm going to get the truth from. And I think that when you do, you know, those 360 degree surveys, now those can cost some money. Um, yeah. The disc assessment, and, and I can do a disc assessment for a listener. It's like a hundred bucks. You know, those are worthy things, um, you know, that I can, I can, I can handle with, with, a you know, I do executive coaching and disc assessment is a big part of it. So I recommend um, those types of things, um, you know, to, to um, grow, to learn and grow. It would be good for an entire staff to do the disc assessment or, or some type of assessment. I, I was just thinking as you were talking about that. As a head coach, you want to know your team. So you should have everybody on your team, staff, players, yeah. do the disc assessment. So now you know, okay, that's the that's a natural leader on my team. This guy doesn't like so much change. This guy's very compliant. You know, this one's an influencer. Um, you know, they'll they'll be one of the leaders on the team. I'll give him, you know, and it might be a younger guy, so I'll groom him, you know. Uh, so you know who to push. Sometimes, you know, the best player isn't the biggest influencer. Right. Uh, absolutely. And so you don't want to make them something they're not. And then there might be a guy who doesn't play as much. I remember I had a player come to me, John Killen, when I took over at SMU, who didn't play much as a sophomore. And he said, hey, can a guy who doesn't play be a leader? And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I see uh, it all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to figure that out as a coach and it's like chess, you know, put them in right position on the board to be successful. That's, that's really, really good. One thing I thought about, I want to uh, mention is while we've been talking about all this is just, cause I think a part of leadership is communication. Um, how, and one thing I've just struggled with over the years personally is just getting the, my team to communicate better. <laughs> how if again if we could all answer this question we'd be millionaires if i could write a book about that what suggestions or tips would you have for me or other coaches like oh my gosh we just can't get the kids to communicate they're on the court or talking or whatever it may be for some reason i think it's sometimes a struggle more for teenage boys than it is for like teenage girls i, I hear girls talking a lot more practices than guys so if you've got yeah. any quick yeah i think a couple of things bits. um one um especially in the off season, but I would have them play pickup games. Um, maybe, uh, <clears throat> you know, four on four, um, maybe full court, but they have to, the coaches are not allowed to talk. Mm -hmm. They've got to choose sides. They've got to call their own fouls. Um, and I go back and this will be another book I'm going to write called the park. It's about growing up in New York, playing in the park, you know, people chose sides. Somebody didn't get picked. Now they realize that their teammates don't think they're very good. 
So what are they going to do to get better? The players negotiate, you know, fouls. Um, yep. You got to hold your teammate accountable. Losers run, losers sit. So now it means something. So now somebody's going to speak up and say, hey, Matt, that was a bad shot. What do you mean it was a bad shot? It was a bad damn shot. You know, we're going to lose this game. We're going to sit. So make it where there's something, whether it be an award or just sitting, you know, uh, I think four on four is a great way to learn how to play basketball mm-hmm. um, because it teaches kids how to move and cut and help side defense. Um, and maybe you could have, you know, two ends. So you have eight, 16. I'm not sure how many you have on a team, but make it, uh, you know, like competitive and you'll find out who are the talkers. And, yep. um, and I think, you got to re- coach Smith would always say, praise the actions you want repeated. Okay. Yep, that's so good. Catch, catch somebody talking, catch them talking, praise them, give them an award, you know, give them a sticker, give them, give them a pat on the back. Um, we w- used to have a, a reward system for plus points. And, you know, if you catch somebody doing something right, we have an emphasis of the day, you know, talk on defense. Yep. And that's good. Know, catch him doing it. Say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, Steve, Steve, uh, plus point for talking on defense. So now that you're praising the actions you want repeated, and then that creates the culture. That's good. I was even thinking have a player led film session where you know the coach is sitting maybe you know controlling the computer but players have to speak up and talk about shot selection or things they see something like that um yeah i think all all that's good you know i used to have a talk drill where uh they used to have to do defensive slides they'd start on the baseline they'd close out to the top of the key then they would slide left to the left foul line extended slide across the foul line and then all the way across to the opposite uh, sideline backpedal back of the line and so we would just send them out regularly so now they're forced forced to navigate the traffic at the foul line yeah. you know talk coming through coming through get mm-hmm. through you, you, your turn you go you know closing out hand high yelling at the contest of the shot sliding to the wing again so creating congestion at the foul line doing some slides so you're working on closeouts, defensive slides, and they're working on talking. Well, Coach, um, before we let you get off, say anything about the book you want to, how people can find it. I mentioned Amazon, but anything you want to add about the book or audio or Kindle, take a second to do that, and we'll put all that in the show notes as well. Sure. They can go to rebound-book.com, rebound-book.com. The title of the book is Rebound from Pain to Passion, they can pre-order it on Amazon right now. Uh, it'll it'll uh, be shipped on March 5th. Uh, the Kindle version is available right now. Uh, you can also go to Barnes & Noble. And I will eventually, uh, hopefully by the end of uh, February, have the Audible uh, uh, version of the book out. That's good. Well, again, Coach, thanks for taking the time to spend with us. Some great, great uh nuggets on leadership and how to handle adversity and how to handle pain that we can all we're all going to face adversity at some point 
Um, some of us sooner than later, some already have, whether it's, a, it could be not coaching, it could be with our family, with our friends, with our, with our loved ones. So again, thanks for coming on and uh, maybe we can connect again in the future sometime. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.